0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Hi, this is Marion Nessel. I'm the Paulette Goddard Professor of Nutrition, Food Studies, and Public Health at New York University and a longtime fan of Heritage Radio.
2: Like Marion, you too can support Heritage Radio Network, a member based nonprofit radio station operating out of Bushwick, Brooklyn.
1: I've been on it countless times. I love being interviewed. The interviewers are always really well prepared and fun to talk to about the issues that matter to me the most, uh, about how we can change our food system to one that's healthier for people and the environment. It's just invaluable to have an independent radio station that's dealing with these issues. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful asset.
2: Support Heritage Radio Network by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradio.network.org and click on the beating heart to donate.
3: This episode is brought to you by Kinnek. Connect. connect helps small businesses connect with suppliers and get customized quotes for free. Learn more at k i n n e k dot slash heritage.
2: I'm Erica White, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. All right, I am getting the nod from David, so I guess that means we are live. You, of course, are tuned in to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You, of course, are listening to The Farm Report. The Farm Report is produced by Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit member-supported radio station devoted to all things food. Help keep HRN alive by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Do it now. Um, all right. Practicing my new top of the show, read. Uh, before we jump in, we got some big conversations happening today. We are talking about a uh, $74 billion industry today that is agriculture in georgia that stat coming at you from the georgia farm bureau and we are joined by a woman who is uniquely qualified to give us a variety of perspectives on just what is uh, georgia produce georgia grown products Um, welcome to the show we have holly shoot the executive chef for the georgia department of agriculture and economic development hey holly it's great to have you on Hey, Erin, how are you? I am good. I am good. I'm excited to chat with you. You have such an interesting career. I feel like folks out there who are, um, you know, thinking about different ways to get involved in food and kitchen and farms and ag, you have really charted a pretty fascinating path. You know, before your current position, you worked for six administration as the executive chef of the Georgia governor's mansion. I bet you have some good stories to tell.
1: I do. They may come out in a book down the line.
2: Ooh, behind the scenes (laughs) in Georgia. But you are, you know, so you are not a a native southern gal. You're actually from uh, this neck of the woods, grew up out in Long Island. Um, How did you, how did you get to the south?
1: I was a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America and working in a restaurant in Connecticut. And one of my classmates called me and said the governor was looking for a chef. What? And uh, really flew down for the yeah, I mean, it just I was a year at a cu- culinary school. Um, and I, th- I told her I'm not qualified, and she said, "Oh, at least come down and interview." She said, "I think you'd be great for it." So I flew down and interviewed with the first lady, and she offered me the job on the spot. That is and- crazy.
2: Can you imagine? Now, Thirty-five years ago. Wow. So, okay, all right. Um, so you show up. You're fresh out of school. You had to be what, or late teens, early twenties? Uh, twenty-five. Twenty-five. Okay. So you're twenty-five. Had you been? Um, what was the place you were cooking at in Connecticut? What, well, like, what was the, kind of the size and the vibe there?
1: It was a 150 seat continental kind of steakhouse you know veal chicken local fish nothing fancy
2: yeah but but like a like decent size so then you show up at the governor's mansion so is it you know taking late night calls to make you know grilled cheese sandwiches for the governor is it putting together state dinners what is kind of the lay of the land of a position like that
1: it's a combination of everything you cook for the family and all the events um back in 1981 it was very formal they had uh full-time butlers, and um, between the cook and myself, we worked uh, seven days a week, three meals a day, and, um, you know, there was a buzzer under the carpet that they rang when they wanted somebody to come out to the dining room, and um, it's evolved over the years, so it's a whole lot less formal now. Um, You cook dinner and just leave it on the counter for them, and they heat it up at their leisure, so, um, and no full-time uh, Weight staff or anything so it's it 's evolved over the years, but back then it was pretty formal
2: and you know one of the things I think is so interesting about uh, you know cooking in that type of a position is that you know you 're making stuff that obviously people want to eat, but you're also welcoming different heads of state you 're representing the state of Georgia. Um, how did you kind of start to learn about what was, uh, what was Southern cooking? What was Southern cuisine? Did you have folks that you could call on? Was it trial and error? I mean, how did that initial exploration work?
1: Um, well, I had never cooked a, a field pea or greens or biscuits, and I really didn't know what I was doing. So um, I hired a, a 50-year-old black woman that taught me everything I know about Southern cooking. And she was my mentor, and just um, when I learned how to make biscuits, Governor Busby gave me a damn Yankee border pass allowing me to stay in the sovereign state of Georgia. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, yeah, so you went uh, straight to the source and had someone come in and kind of show you the ropes. Um, what was it like, that kind of communication um, with regards to, oh, hey, we want to really – uh, promote different uh, crops from Georgia, or like, did that kind of conversation happen where, where, where there was like, oh, this dinner has to focus on these things because we're meeting with the peanut board today, or stuff like that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And anytime we were doing international guests, we wanted to show them, you know, a upscale southern cuisine so that they knew all that was available here. Um, it, was a lot, it was a lot of fun creating menus for the different events.
2: Were you surprised by, like, you know, I feel like for me, when I think about Georgia agriculture, you know, uh, what comes to mind, of course, are peaches and Vidalia onions, but, you know, neither of those make kind of the top 10 list of, like, most produced items in Georgia. Did you have similar kind of uh, expectations that were not quite true, or were, was your sense of, like, what you're going to be working with pretty right
1: on? No, it was absolutely, I, I, I had no idea if- all that was available here and that peaches and and pecans were not at the top of the list
2: <laughs> yeah so um, how did you make the transition out of the governor's mansion into the Department of Agriculture and Economic Development
1: um, they Georgia Grown was kind of relaunched about six years ago and the commissioner in conjunction with the Georgia Restaurant Association um, started an executive chef program, and they chose four chef ambassadors for the year to help represent the program. And um, they asked me to, to do it the first year, and I got to go to schools. I got to go around the state talking to people, and I realized I really enjoyed being out and not being stuck in the kitchen all the time.
2: Yeah, you probably had some stuff to say after, after working uh, for, for under six administrations. You're like, I know some stuff now. Like, I can talk about Georgia cuisine.
1: Yep. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and so I, I approached the commissioner after that year, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm looking to make a change. Um, I've had three rotator cuff surgeries. It's getting harder and harder for me to do the banquets. Um, what do you think about having a full-time chef for Georgia Grown. And he said, you know, I think it's an awesome idea. Um, He said, I don't know how we would fund it, but, you know, I would love to explore the possibility. And um, once the governor got wind that I was looking to make a change, he realized that it was great. It was a great opportunity for the state as well as me, and he helped make it happen.
2: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah it, it really humbled me to to know how much he supported me and, and appreciated my efforts over the years.
2: Yeah, also to have kind of like a bat line to the governor's mansion is like never a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I suppose we should um, back up just a little bit. And for, for folks who maybe aren't super familiar, let's talk a little bit about... First of all, like, what is the Department of Agriculture and Economic Development? What are the types of things that they do kind of more broadly, um, just so we can get a little bit of a sense of why it made sense to bring in someone in a chef position?
1: Yeah, um, there are actually two separate departments in the state. The Department of Economic Development is responsible for bringing business to Georgia. Um, And then the Department of Agriculture is a regulatory uh, department within the state regulating everything from uh, pests to fuel to food safety. Um, And so Georgia Grown is a marketing program within the Department of Agriculture. It's membership-based, and we have everything from farmers to producers to chefs to businesses that are members. And then... Um, my job is to help them grow their businesses. So I, through recipe development and consumer education, um, I go out and teach people how to use the products that are available and what products are available in the state. And we just brought, we made it a joint position with economic development because it just made sense um, because they are bringing people to the state all the time and it would help promote their end of the business as well.
2: Yeah, well, and I said that at the top of the show, you know, and I'm pulling this, some of this info from the Georgia Farm Bureau website. That agriculture in Georgia is a 74 billion dollar industry, so definitely um, lots of lots of economic activity happening there. But I was also surprised that it says one in seven Georgians works in agriculture, forestry, or related fields. So there's still a very high percentage of the state population that is directly working in agriculture. Why do you think that is? I mean, that's definitely not the case kind of for most of the U.S. We're seeing, you know, farmer populations getting kind of smaller and smaller. Why has Georgia been able to kind of hold on to that that space and those, like, employment opportunities?
1: Yeah, it's, it's our number one industry in the state. We're second only to California. And I think because of the climate and the diverse climate in the state, um, it really makes it an attractive um, industry. And with the advent of farm-to-table and people wanting to know where their food comes from, people are more educated and they're wanting to buy their food locally. So it's it's helping the farmers. You know, the Food Network made chefs rock stars, and now chefs are making farmers rock stars.
2: Soon we'll just be like a nation of rock stars. Yes, <laughs> I'll and have to learn a rock how. Star, and you a rock star. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to learn how to play an instrument because I am not much of a singer. <laughs> um, well, so can you talk a little bit about uh, the Georgian climate? Because actually, when I think about Georgia, I, I just think I'm like, oh, it's hot. But I've been down to, like, Atlanta and Athens a couple of times. I have not traveled much um, outside of that area of the state. So what are kind of some of the different pockets of climate and kind of an environment for growing stuff?
1: Yeah, we have, you know, we have everything from, from a, you know, the, the tips of the Blue Ridge Mountains in north Georgia um, down to the, to the coast. Um, where we have a very temperate climate. So um, we actually ha- are producing olives and pressing olive oil in South Georgia. they discovered that the climate is very similar to the Mediterranean, and they've been very successful at, at growing olives down there.
2: I also, so, you know, I'm looking at kind of like the, the these are the 2014 Georgia Commodity Ratings. Um, you know based on the the farm gate value so looking at kind of some of the top um, top items coming out of Georgia and there's a lot of livestock you know you have um, dairy, the dairy industry at number seven um, the pork industry at number 11 beef is number two and then broilers right up at, at the top is is that just because there's a lot of like land space or infrastructure for those for those types of production Um I'm just curious like if there is like a long history of a, a per- particular like type of livestock that has happened in Georgia or like why is it that it, across like so many different spaces I think that also is like really unique. Usually, usually states I feel like tend to specialize in like one livestock area.
1: Yeah, I think um you know because the land is is pretty diverse, we've we've been able to um raise all kinds of uh Animals. I mean, chicken is number one in the state, and um, from South Georgia to North Georgia. I mean, North Georgia is probably the most prevalent, but um, it is all over the state. And pork is, you said, you know, number 11. It is starting to come back. There's more interest in producing pork in the state. And um, we have a, um, a breed called the Osibaw. Yeah, is, oh, I'm um,
2: familiar with I'm familiar with chasing
1: osibos through the forest.
2: <laughs> I have like a little chip on my shoulder with the osibao, but <laughs> Yeah, there's
1: and we have a guy here that has cultivated them and um he's doing a great job at at uh growing them and uh some of the restaurant chefs are loving the opportunity to work with the osibao hogs. So that's kind of interesting. And then, you know, we've got we've got some people raising um, Angus beef um and breeder stock for that, not necessarily staying in the state but uh exporting it all over the country mm-hmm. um, and then we've got some you know some of the grass fed farmers as well that are raising uh beef and pork and um free range type stuff but um
2: yeah, we worked with um you know will Harris at via white yeah. Up pasture was a, a initial um underwriter and funder of the heritage radio network actually so um definitely super familiar with him and and his work um and and big fans of his well one of the other categories in the top nine that i'm hoping you can explain to so horses are number nine and i and i know that's doesn't mean you're eating horses down in georgia um how what is like a horse industry as it relates to agriculture? Like, how does that work? Do you know? That might be a little outside your purview.
1: Um, not sure how. I mean, we have a lot of horses, and we actually regulate the industry through the Department of Agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I don't know much about the horse industry in itself.
2: Yeah, no, I, it's something I actually should do, do a follow-up show on, because I know here in New York State... Um, the kind of equine industry is responsible for a ton of farmland conservation Um, so people who own kind of horses and horse farms I know have been really active in protecting farmland so definitely something that I will follow up with on the farm report well hi I want to take just a quick break to hear from our station sponsor when we come back I want to get back to uh, chatting a little bit more about cooking so hang tight Uh, we'll be right back
1: okay
3: And this one is called Walking Like a Cowboy by Star. We'll be right back. Connect helps small businesses connect with suppliers online and get customized quotes for free from research to purchase we've helped thousands of craft producers find the best prices and suppliers for their business browse research purchasing guides or equipment and supplier reviews request and compare quotes from multiple suppliers in one place store your conversations online and purchase with confidence connect is here to help you manage purchasing the easy way supplier connect can help you connect with customers at the push of a button it's the perfect solution whether you're looking to scale or get a new product off the ground. See how our marketplace can help your business grow today. Buy or sell smarter on Connect. It's purchasing made painless. To learn more, visit us at connect.com/heritage. That's k-i-n-n-e-k.com/heritage.
2: All right. We are back. We are on the line with Holly Shute, the executive chef for the Georgia Department of Agriculture and the Department of Economic Development. Uh, And we, of course, are talking Georgia, Georgia grown. So one of the things that I said at the top of the show is when I think about Georgia produce, you know, peaches and Vidalia onions come to the top of my mind. And I think the reason for that is, you know, historically or maybe at some impressional point in my coming up the you know georgia peach association or the vidalia onion group um we're doing a lot of promotion and talking about um those particular products and i think it's something we don't think a ton about is the state's role in really telling the story and promoting what the state is is growing and featuring that year so um And and your job in that space is, you know, can you tell us a little bit about like operationally how that works? Do you like sit down at a meeting at the beginning of the year and they're like, this year, this year is going to be a really big year for peanuts, you know, or, or, you know, pecans or or blueberries. That's what we want to talk about. So Holly, we need you to come up with some really great recipes that work or or how does it like operationally lay out and change maybe from year to year? What's your sense?
1: Um well we have we have commodity commissions for each of the main commodities. So there's a, a peach commission, there's a pecan commission, um and so on. And the commissions themselves will reach out to me and either ask me to develop some recipes for them or send me product to to work with. And um like this year we knew that the peach peaches were going to be it was going to be a great year for peaches because of the weather. Mm-hmm. Um So, you know, we started promoting that early and uh, putting out peach recipes on Facebook and on the George Grom website and such. So it's mostly we we leave it up to them if they would like us to assist them. They do a lot of stuff on their own, the commodity commissions, but um, we're there as kind of a support for them. And like, so like a resource. Yeah. So they can,
2: they have a bat line to you. They're like, oh, we need a crumble recipe ASAP. Yep. You're like, I'm on it. Exactly. And so then your work is primarily, you know, more or less kind of direct to consumers. So you're like writing recipes on a scale for like me to make here in my Brooklyn apartment versus uh, my like restaurant or catering business or food service. Or do you work with those groups as well?
1: No, I work. I work mostly with um, consumers. Um, I do work with some schools. Um, some school nutrition di- uh, directors will reach out to me and ask me to come and, and demonstrate something in their school and then help them scale it uh, for future um, use on the menu.
2: Got it. So, what have you been cooking up this season? You mentioned that it's been a good year for peaches. Um, can you talk a little bit about you know what it's been like a good year or a tighter year for like what's the twenty sixteen growing season looking like? Are Georgia farmers feeling super happy or some other way? It, yeah, it's
1: we've our our weather has been really good this year. We've had a great blueberry crop. Um, blueberry is is we're the number one producer of blueberries in the country which very few people know. Um, we export a lot of them out of the state to Michigan. What? Um, my home state.
2: <laughs> I feel like my mom <laughs> made me pick plenty of blueberries. We we were never so lucky as to just go to the store and buy blueberries. My mom was a big fan of blueberry picking, both wild and cultivated. So um, a lot of July and August would find us like out in the woods, bend over picking tiny, tiny berries from little scratchy bushes. Um, mm-hmm. Or before you know, before school started in the fall, we'd make a trip across the state to Traverse City. And that felt like very luxurious blueberry picking because they were taller, like stand-up bushes. <laughs> and the berries it's were much bigger. Work. Yeah, no, so your, your, your like, buckets got filled a lot faster. Um, interesting that you export primarily to, I mean, I wonder why. There's just a lot of blueberry eaters in Michigan.
1: Well, they, they produce a lot themselves, and I think they use our crop to supplement what they sell. Got it, got it.
2: And things are kind of moving around.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we, um, we produce a lot of, uh, you know, peppers, cucumbers, tomatoes. Um, in fact, uh, George Grown has a promotion going on right now with all the Subway resta- restaurants in Georgia that they are sourcing all their cucumbers, tomatoes, and peppers from georgia during the growing season
2: nice so yeah. you're like making partnerships with kind of like different sized groups that's that's neat so you must get to like just kind of be in front of some like interesting folks how did it work for you i mean so many i actually just was on a call with a woman this morning who um is a young chef here in new york city she Got into the kitchen uh, in high school and has been, you know, in her mid twenties and has already been cooking for twelve years. And she called me up and she said, "Erin, you know, I really, I really like cooking. I like what I've been doing, but I really want to get more involved in, in media. I want to do videos. I want to talk to people. Like, how do I get into that space? And I'm wondering, since I have you, um, what kind of skills or opportunities should I tell her to be looking for?"
1: Um. I would say um, approach some, you know, find a product that she likes working with, and approach them and see if they would underwrite her for producing some videos and such. And then get once she's once she's on camera um, and out there, more people will come to her.
2: Right. So kind of make yourself known as you know the blueberry queen or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
1: Well, and, you know, and, and get out there at, at festivals and stuff, and get out in front of the public so people start recognizing you. If that's what what you're looking to do.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think it can be like a little daunting, you know, when your um, when your like kind of daily daily work is you know sweating it out in the kitchen, producing food to figure out like how to to make those like first steps into the next thing. I'm wondering in your role, I guess. Um, as the executive chef in the in the governor's mansion, did you have much of a public-facing role there? Did did you you know go out and present the menu at dinners, or how did you kind of like interact with the public in that role?
1: Um, for the most part, no. Um, it, and again, it depended on the governor. Um, sometimes, with international guests, um, I would go out and speak a little bit about where the food was sourced. Um, but it just—it it depended on each governor. Some just wanted me to stay in the kitchen, and others wanted me out in the public.
2: And was there? I—I I guess I'm kind of curious too. Like, um, any? Oh, never mind. I'm not going to ask that question. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I am um so, so you you know, so then, how did you kind of make the transition to like how did you kind of bone up on your skill set for the work you do now, which is like a lot of like public facing presentation talking media stuff like were there uh classes you talk took or trainings you went through, or is it just practice or it's just all trial and error, yeah, <laughs> um just get out there and doing it. <laughs> so where you, can you do you have any stories you can share with us of um, kind of like moments where're like "Oops, hopefully i won't do that again <laughs> I try and block those out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we have a very good selective memory. We only remember the good stuff. The good stuff.
2: Oh, that's fair <laughs> enough. That's fair enough. I suppose I don't spend too much time dwelling. I know that, like, definitely, yeah, make make plenty of mistakes every day. Um, well, so you have not only been kind of deeply involved with uh, kind of the the uh, Georgia produce and, and really looking at what's happening on the state. But you also are involved in some like national, like national organizations through La Dame Siscoffier, um, and, and like looking at engaging with the cooking community kind of in a variety of, of different spaces as well. I, I mean, in your bio that talks about you being a, you know, tireless advocate also of food education initiatives for children and underserved communities. So can you talk a little bit more about some of the food related work that maybe is on top of, or kind of adjacent to, you know, the job that's paying the mortgage?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, t- we have so many food deserts and it's, it's really hard to get fresh produce um, to these people. And, and, Wholesome Wave is a great program um, that doubles um, SNAP dollars at local farmer's markets. So as part of uh, Les Dames de Scaffier, we have um, printed some recipe cards that are distributed at the farmer's markets to show these people how to use them. Because, you know, you can give them all the fresh produce you want, but if you don't teach them what to do with it, you know, it's going to end up in the trash. yeah. So, um, you know, I would love to see more um, simple cooking demos at farmer's markets for the underserved population.
2: Yeah, I think and, that's a that's a bit, yeah, like building out that kind of culinary skill set so people feel like empowered and excited, not like intimidated and overwhelmed.
1: Yeah, and another, I mean, I would love to see um, little small farmer's markets at, like daycare centers, so when people come to pick up their kids, they can pick up, you know, a box like a CSA box, but have somebody there showing them what to do with what they're getting in their box.
2: What um, as someone who has like spent a fair amount of time developing recipes and and doing education around um, how to cook. You know, what do you think is like kind of in that starter pack of of techniques or skills that folks should work on? If there's listeners who are tuning in right now and they're like, uh, "I'm like really interested in food, but like, where do I start? Like, where would you point them?"
1: Um, I would say, learn how to to do a stir fry, and learn how to roast vegetables. Both are super simple, and. You can incorporate lots lots more vegetables into your diet um, using those two techniques.
2: Right. Yeah. And, and, well, the other question. So we have our um, founding organization, Heritage Foods USA, I know has been working a little bit with uh, a business that's located down in Georgia called Peach Dish, which is a yes. kind of uh, home, home delivery box. You know, um, I feel like we've been hearing a lot about you know Blue Apron and Nature Box and uh, you know the Purple Carrot and all of these kind of assembled boxes that get delivered to your house with uh, recipes and instructions and ingredients to cook and make a meal. And uh, I'm wondering, you know, what you what you think about that kind of that like kidding up. Uh, or, like you know mise en plossing out of a recipe and and is that going to be maybe uh, a tool to get more people in the kitchen
1: absolutely and um, peach dish does they they 're Georgia grown members and they do an incredible job at sourcing locally, which is really wonderful for our state to to get the wonderful products we have here um all over the country
2: yeah, and kind of tell some of those stories um, awesome well so Um, Kind of in the last couple of minutes that we have here, I'm wondering um, where you would direct uh, us up here in the north. What are the kind of Georgia recipes or products that we should be on the lookout for this time of year or looking forward to as we come into the fall?
1: Well, there are still um, Vidalia's available. Um, You should still have the end of the Georgia peaches and Georgia watermelons. Um, should be in the in the stores
2: in the Northeast. There's actually a gentleman who um, sells watermelons around the corner from my house. Um, he he, I don't know where he he gets like a pallet of and they are Georgia. I've looked at the thing. They are from Georgia. He gets like a pallet of watermelons and sets up in the back of his S10 on the corner and sells <laughs> watermelon um, by the whole and the quarter and the half. So I have been enjoying a lot of Georgia grown watermelon. This summer for sure
1: yeah I, um, I have a sister that lives up in Vermont and when I go up there and go in the grocery store the the watermelons in the grocery store have the George Grown logo on it which is great
2: yeah, you can, like, find a little bit of Georgia everywhere. Well, Holly, thank you so much. It was, like, really interesting to kind of take a peek at um, an a, a type of culinary career that I don't think we get to hear about um, that often. And really nice to see someone working at that, like, intersection of agriculture and interacting with the public and, and, and you know, making really great simple recipes. That's, like, super needed.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Erin. Um, if you guys
2: want to learn more about Georgia Grown, uh, it's just georgiagrown.com. You can check out the site, learn more about um, what's happening down in that part of the country, and then I would encourage you also to look at similar organizations in your state wherever you are. Um, it's a really kind of interesting space in ag, the kind of promotion and resources that are driven at the state level have a huge impact um, And it's a cool thing to learn about. Definitely different career opportunities there. So um, that brings us to the end. You've made it. You've made it through another episode of the Farm Report. Thank you so much for tuning in. This program, um, like all 32 of our live weekly shows, of course, is available for free. You can find us on iTunes or Stitcher. Please leave a rating. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of. Um, The ratings are really helpful because they help other people find the show. Um, And as I said at the top, we are a member-supported nonprofit radio station. So please, um, if you have a couple bucks to spare, send them our way. Uh, You can do that by visiting www.heritageradionetwork.org. Click that beating heart at the top right. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned in.